We have a dog that really hates the fireworks. So we have this medication we give the dog. It didn't work too well. So last year I took the medication. Great. <laughs> I didn't care about anything. Is that illegal for me to take dog medicine? Were you having dreams about chasing cars or anything? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Damn It Jim, the podcast. My name is Dana Smith, and I'm joined as usual by my good friend, Dan Calzretta. Hey, Dana, how are you doing tonight? Good, good. How about you? Yeah, not too bad. And your holiday, your Christmas holiday, how was it? It was good. I think I gained about 50 pounds. Uh, it's about 10 less than I thought I would. So, uh, well, not so doing you're too headed bad. the game. Yeah. Now, uh, if I can make it through New Year's without having a stroke or something, that'd be good. So. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds awesome. Well, I think I've told you before, my wife's a great cook and uh, I pay the price in uh, pounds gained over the holidays. So, <laughs> Well, it sounds like it, uh, sounds like it was a pretty good time, though. Did you get anything special for uh, Christmas that you were hoping to get? I really didn't need a whole lot, you know, or, or even want a whole lot. But my wife and I are going to do a trip in Canada to the Maritime Provinces in the summer. So oh, we got nice. a travel guide to start planning that trip. And I think planning sometimes is as much fun as the actual journey itself. Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, because the planning part, nothing goes wrong. How about for you? What about, uh, do you get any presents you were really looking forward to or, or su that surprised you maybe? Nothing really surprised me. I, uh, my wife and I have kind of uh, made a choice not to uh, buy each other, you know, lavish gifts or anything, uh, not go overboard. She did buy me a bottle of scotch for Christmas, oh. which was, that was unexpected. Oh, that's nice. And uh, my mother-in-law always goes out of her way and buys more than what uh, she should for me. She, it's, uh, she always buys me lots of stuff and she's a very sweet woman. So, oh, very nice. That's that's um, nice. Yeah. So it was it was it was just nice being around the family and having good food. So yeah, good. Well, good. Let's talk a little bit about last week's episode, Taste of Armageddon. Uh, we got a lot of good responses from our listeners and our Facebook friends who emailed us and messaged us. Many people agree that over 500 years, there had to have been a rebellion or two on one of the planets where people did not want to go into the disintegration chambers. Uh, not many people comment on the fact that Kirk met an attractive woman and didn't try to seduce her. Uh, they said he didn't have time. There was a great many comments that focused on Scotty's leadership while he was in command of the Enterprise. And a lot of yeah. people commented that he should have had a command of his own very early on. Thanks to everyone who commented. There's Dahl, Christina, Robert, Eric, Lawrence. Uh, he's the one who gave us some great details on the uh, taste of Armageddon. Okay. Mitsuaki, Bruce, Mike, Kevin, Paul, Perry, Sid, John, Zach, Catherine, Carol, Brad, Carolyn, Tim, and Zoom, who's uh, quite a loyal listener for us. And he points out uh, some things we missed and as well as some of the things that we did well. And uh, always appreciate that. But thanks so much to everybody that's uh, commenting and listening in and uh, sharing uh, the information about our podcast with others. The Enterprise arrives at planet Omicron SETI-3. And just to be clear, uh, that is not the latest version of the COVID Omicron virus 300 years from now. Oh, good. Because uh, <laughs> I was worried, you know, in 300 years, COVID's still around and be like, oh, boy, those, you know, we're, we're still got to deal with that. Yeah, they've moved everybody to a planet that has it. And oh. there's an episode that we should write. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, they did have leper colonies back in the day, right? Didn't they? Yeah. 
Hawaii was a leper colony. Was it really? Yeah. And and with leprosy, did things just, did they really just fall off? I mean, you know, you hear that, but is that true? I don't know. I, there's different types of leprosy. So one is like your arm falls off or your nose. There's the type of uh, leprosy that just is on the skin. I think they're able to control it a little bit better now. But there is a type, I believe, that uh, over time or long periods of time, things fall off. Okay, that that's gross. And I, you know, I don't want to lose our listeners who might be lepers. And so I, it's not your fault. And maybe we should continue on. <laughs> Yeah, maybe. So I so, think the, the, the ramble <laughs> jar probably has already been activated, Dana. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, filling up quickly tonight. So yeah. Omicron City 3 is the site of a colony, uh, 150 men and women, that was established in 2264. Unfortunately, the Enterprise's mission is only to catalog its destruction under the bombardment of deadly Berthold rays. So uh, they're expecting to go to this planet and just find dead people. Kirk decides to beam down to the planet once he learns that the uh, breakdown of tissue does not happen immediately. Kirk, Spock, McCoy, Lieutenant Sulu and DeSalle, and Kellowitz all beam down to the planet's surface. When they get there, Kirk says, Another dream that failed. There's nothing sadder. It took these people a year to make the trip from Earth. They came all that way and died. Much to their surprise, Elias Sandoval and a few of the other colonists come walking around one of the structures and uh, they greet the landing party. And after the greeting, McCoy turns to Kirk and says, Your speculation, just an educated guess, I'd say that man is alive. <laughs> I love that line. Leave it to McCoy to always come up with a witty observation. Yeah. And Sandoval and the other people are dressed in these like kind of brown jumpsuits almost, right? Yeah, kind of greenish brown. Greenish brown. Yeah, they look like they could be, I don't know, UPS drivers or something. Maybe they're UPS drivers in space. You notice that jumpsuit seems to be a big thing in the future. Totally. You're right. You are so right. Many episodes have these jumpsuits. Yeah. What are little girls made of? They had jumpsuits. Yeah. Omicron is an ideal agricultural planet. As Sandoval is explaining this to Kirk and the crew, in walks Layla Colomi. Yeah. So when they said her name, (laughs) I heard they said Layla, right? Yeah. And then they say the name and I stopped it and I went back because I would have swore they said Layla Jablomi. (laughs) I was thinking Layla Colostomy, but that's just... I mean, I think we can say that on the podcast, right? Both of those. I mean, you know, it's better than Haywood Jablomi as a name. <laughs> I swear that they said that. I swear they said that for the name. And I'm like, that can't be right. Trek wouldn't do that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. In walks Layla Colomi, the botanist. And the music changes, it becomes more lighthearted, romantic. It shows her staring, and I picked up on it right away that she was staring at Spock. So but- I thought when she first came in and they had that music and then that look on her face that she was looking at Kirk because normally that's what would happen, right? Yeah, yeah. Kirk just has that magnetism about him. But right. uh, yeah, they go do introductions and she says, Mr. Spock and I have met before. They focus in on Spock and he... he you could see he's kind of affected himself. Yeah. His his stare is fixed on her. So then Sandoval goes on to say that they have harmony and peace, no machinery, no weapons. 
So Kirk says they'll perform their tests and try not to get in their way. Next, we see uh, Sulu and Kelowitz uh, kind of walking around, checking things out. Kelowitz goes into the barn and says there's no cows. The barn is only for storage. And Sulu looks around and says, you know, there's no animals, no pigs, no horses, not even dogs. And, I thought that uh, was interesting, though, because it implies yeah. that these animals are still still exist in the future. They still are used uh, to feed people. So back at the house, Sandoval says to Layla, you know the Volcanian? She says, uh, six years before on Earth. And he asks uh, if she loved him. Her reply is, if I did, it was only important to myself. She says, Mr. Spock's feelings were never expressed to me. If he did, he didn't tell. And then Sandoval asks if she would like him to stay. And she says, there is no choice. He will stay. The mystery thickens now. Yeah, there's something going on. No barn animals. Some Somebody pointed out online, there's no kids. And they say that uh, in the very beginning of the episode, that 150 colonists, men, women, and children beam down. So uh, who knows? Maybe the kids are in school or something. I don't know. Locked up in another barn. Yeah, with the animals and... So McCoy does medical checks on the colonists, and he says they're all in excellent condition. Spock calls uh, to Kirk and says there are no other animals, only humans and flora. Kirk says, you know, there's no animals. And uh, what happened to the animals? And he says, we're vegetarians. I have been a pseudo-vegetarian from time to time. Yeah. And uh, which is a weird thing since I hated vegetables as a kid. But, uh, (laughs) you know, and I say it because like I would go like four or five weeks without eating any meat. And then I would go and like raid a McDonald's or something, you know. But uh, (laughs) Yeah, I was vegetarian for probably six years, I'm guessing. Really? Yeah. And then the first meat meal I had after that was a steak. I almost puked my guts. It was just too much. Too much. Yeah. Yeah. I think you need to ease your way back into... <laughs> you know, having some meat in your diet. Got to yeah, love bacon, it, though, Dan. I love bacon. Oh, my God. I don't know if I could give that up. I mean, I probably could if I had to. What do you think? I got a question for you. I actually read just about this, and, I, and it kind of reminded me of Star Trek a little bit. Uh, read about this a couple of weeks ago. There are scientists now working on creating meat from animal cells that they grow up in a lab to be like a piece of meat. So you don't actually take the animal. You've harvested yeah. some cells obviously yeah. from an animal originally. And then you've created this meat in a lab that looks like, I, I don't know, a chicken breast or a piece of steak. I don't know exactly what it would look like. Would that count? I mean, could if, if it wasn't coming from a live animal, just from its cells, and then it propagates that way, like in perpetuity, where you never have to slaughter an animal again, how do you think people would respond to that? Yeah, I've got no idea. That'd be weird. I, and I've heard that same thing. I've read articles about that as well. And people are saying that it tastes just like beef or tastes just like chicken. Because it is. Uh, it just doesn't come from like the whole animal. But then we risk having an overpopulation of animals. And so sooner or later, you got to kill the animals anyways. But and now you, you just can make it like a gladiator kind of thing. It'd be fun. <laughs> Man Against Cow? Was that... Uh... Yes, that could be a show. You know, Man Against Cow. That would be... <laughs> I mean, Man Against like... Goat or something, you know, but... <laughs> You'd have to disable the, the person in some way, like tie their uh, an arm behind their back and the leg is in some kind of 40-pound boot. or and, and then you give like the cow some helmet that's got a super sharp daggers on it. You know, they even up the odds a little bit. And the cow's like, finally... <laughs> After thousands of years of these motherfuckers eating us, we're getting back. 
I'm going to kill that human and then I'm going to fry him up and eat him. So we go back outside and we see Spock in the field using his tricorder and he says nothing, not even insects. Layla says she'll explain it all to Spock later. Spock says, Never understood the female capacity to avoid a direct answer to any question. Oh, Dana, that, that line was, uh... Spot on. That's, that's what that line is. <laughs> Spot talking about pure logic. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> so does your wife listen to the show, Dana? Not anymore. I'm not letting her. Not, <laughs> not, not, not the owner. I <laughs> say that we're not doing the podcast anymore. <laughs> Oh yeah, that I don't know that that line did you know Star Trek has had a problem with sexism. We've gone into it every time uh, that it comes up, and this may just be another example of that. I I mean that was a in some ways a very unSpock like thing to say. Layla says uh, Spock has only allowed people to see one side of himself. Spock kind of gives her this strange look and then he says uh things here have basically survived and they should not have and she says she will show him so back in uh, sandoval's house kirk has explained that starfleet has told him to gather up all the people and get them off the planet sandoval goes on to tell kirk that they are in no danger out in the field spock and layla are walking uh and there's a plant in the foreground spock says you have not described the nature of this thing. And Layla says, it's not important. What is important is it gives life, peace, love. And Spock moves forward closer to the plant that's in the foreground. And Spock says, what you are describing was once known as a happiness pill. You as a scientist should know that's not possible. So uh, Layla kind of leads him closer to the plant and says, I was one of the first to find them, the spores. And Spock moves closer. And just as he says spores, the plant shoots a dust at him and Spock seems dazed and then he looks like his head hurts he's grabbing at his head and then he, he doubles over and falls to the ground Layla's like it, it shouldn't hurt he says I'm not like you and and then we kind of like focus in on him more and you can see peace coming over him and the pain goes away right and all of a sudden he looks different the look in his eyes is not as so severe she gets down the ground next to him and she says now you're like us and Spock Bach takes her hand and says, I love you. I can love you. And then he kisses her. Yeah. And this is the first time we've seen Spock kiss anybody. Right. And the way that Leonard Nimoy acts this scene, I thought was really pretty brilliant. That he goes from very cold, logical Spock, not only in the way he's reading his lines, but in the in his affect, right? The way he looks. And then he goes into a completely different, almost like a different character. Well, And he says, I can love you. I mean, I took that as he had feelings for her, but he couldn't express them. He couldn't say, I love you love you before. Right. It was like suddenly that was free. So uh, back at the ranch, uh, Kirk is talking with Sandoval and Sandoval says, uh, we don't need to go. And Kirk reminds them that they need to be taken up in the ship. Kirk is explaining everything about gathering everybody together and getting what they need. And Sandoval says he won't help. So Kirk tries calling Spock as he hasn't been seen in a while. And we see Spock and Layla under a tree. His, uh, he's resting his head on her thigh and he's looking at clouds. And also Spock is in the same dress as the colonist. So the communicator is still buzzing. Uh, she picks up the communicator and opens it. 
it. And Spock responds to Kirk's call with, yes, what do you want? (laughs) (laughs) So it's obviously very on Spock-like. Right. And and Kirk even asks. Spock, is that you? Yes, Captain. What did you want? Where are you? I don't believe I want to tell you. Uh, Spock, I don't know what you think you're doing, but this is an order. Report back to me at the settlement in 10 minutes. No, I don't think so. You don't think so what? I don't think so, sir. And Kirk asks Spock to report to him immediately, and Spock just drops the communicator and keeps kissing Layla. I think he's found what he'd rather do than be a science officer. Right. Because at this rate, he's not going to be a science officer for long. So uh, McCoy is standing there next to Kirk, and he says, That didn't sound at all like Spock, Jim. I thought you said you might like him if you mellowed a little. I didn't say that. You said that. I Not exactly. So then uh, we see Kirk, Sulu, and Kellowitz are walking down the road and they find Spock's communicator. And then they see Spock, you know, 20, 30 yards away. He's hanging upside down in a tree and he's laughing with Layla. Kirk and the others just seem totally dismayed. Back with uh, McCoy, he's helping everyone gather stuff together and they're bringing bags and stuff to this field. And so DeSalle brings up a couple of the plants, like the one that... uh, sprayed the spores uh, at Spock. And DeSalle says, I want you to take a close look at these. They're quite interesting. So we go back to uh, Kirk approaching Spock, who's still hanging upside down on the tree. And Kirk says, are you out of your mind? You were told to report to me at once. And Spock replies, I don't want to, Jim. Kirk is still kind of thrown off balance by Spock's whole attitude. And and, uh, he says, we have to evacuate the colonists. And Spock says, there will be no evacuation, Jim. But perhaps... We should go back and get you straightened out. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Another great line. This episode had so many great lines, Dana. Kirk, who's completely flustered now, orders Sulu to put Spock under arrest and to stay in his custody until they get back to the Enterprise. And then Spock comes down from the tree and says, very well, come with me. And he takes Layla's hand and they all walk away. They come up upon some of the flowers and Kirk is kind of trailing behind a little bit. So he's not up in front where Sulu and Kellowitz are. The flowers explode on Sulu and Kellowitz. Sulu is almost immediately all smiles. And uh, Spock says, Mr. Sulu understands, don't you, Mr. Sulu? And Sulu replies with a big grin, yes. Kirk is is not of this group. He's still standing back and he's looking at them like they're all crazy. I mean, he, um, you know, when I saw this though, Dana. He did get sprayed on. He did get sprayed on. And yet, he doesn't change. I think he was just back far enough that it didn't catch him in the face. So Kirk obviously separates himself from the from that group and he comes upon McCoy. And now McCoy is all smiles and says he has taken care of everything, old Jim boy. And when he's got that southern accent going too, doesn't he? Yeah, it's like twice as bad as it's ever been. Yeah. So he's obviously under the influence of the flowers. And McCoy says he's beamed up about 100 plants by now. Kirk says he's got to get back to the ship. On the ship, Kirk enters the bridge and goes to Uhura right away and says, I need you get a hold of Starfleet, and Uhura turns around. She's all smiles. Lieutenant, put me through to Admiral Comac at Starfleet. Oh, I'm sorry, Captain. I can't do that. What do you mean you can't do that? Follow standard procedure. That's an order. Oh, I know it is, Captain. But you see, all communications are out. Out? I short-circuited them. Except for ship to surface, we'll need that for a while. It's really for the best, Captain. 
So next we see uh, Kirk going down the hall and uh, several crew members are standing in line waiting to beam down to the planet. Oh, it looked like they were all in line to go to the bathroom. That's what it looked like. And there were like <laughs> yeah. 15 or 20 of them. And they're just yeah, waiting it's... to go into this door, right? Yeah, it's like uh, waiting to go to the bathroom at a, at a concert. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> that's exactly right, at a concert. <laughs> Kirk orders them back to their stations, but they refuse. They just kind of ignore him. And Kirk says to one guy, uh, this is music. Mutiny and the crew member says, Yes, it is. Just real <laughs> casual. Like, next we get the captain's log. He says, The pod plants have spread spores throughout the ship. Under their influence, my crew is is deserting to join the Omicron colony, and I can't stop them. So Kirk does call down to the planet and ask McCoy for help, but McCoy says he's not interested in running tests. He asks Kirk if he has ever had a real Georgia mint julep, and Kirk says he's, he's not interested in that. He needs tests run to understand what is going on. McCoy responds, who wants to counteract paradise, Jim Boy? And then he hangs up on Kirk. Kirk beams down to the planet. Uh, we see Sandoval and Spock are drinking tea as Spock explains that nearly the whole complement of the ship has beamed down. Kirk comes in and asks for McCoy and Spock says he was going to find a mint julep. He says, that's a drink, Jim. <laughs> Just like maybe you could use one. Yeah, or several. So then uh, Sandoval asks Kirk to join them. Kirk says, in your own private paradise. Sandoval says, they have no wants or needs. The spores give them complete health and peace of mind. Mind. And Spock adds, it's a true Eden, Jim. Kirk says, no wants, no needs. Man stagnates if he has no ambition, no desire. Kirk says he's going back to the ship. So back on the ship, Kirk enters the bridge and the bridge is empty. Kirk calls to engineering. He calls Scotty. He calls bioengineering. And then he does a general page and he gets no response. So he is completely alone on the ship. Right. Kirk goes to the helm and he sits down. He says, I'm beginning to realize just how big this ship really is. So the camera kind of pulls back and we see one of the flowers in front of the, the helm. And it kind of raises up to an erect point. It, it sprays. And uh, this time it's a direct hit on Kirk. In a moment, he's smiling and he's been made part of the, the colony, essially. I don't know other, another way to put it. Yeah, that's and it. So that's he, exactly right. Yeah. He calls down to Spock and says, I've joined you. I understand. And he says he's got to pack a few things and then he'll beam down. So he goes to his quarters to pack. He pulls out a suitcase and he's packing stuff in the suitcase, right? Yeah. The suitcase doesn't look futuristic at all. It looks like a Samsonite from the 60s. Yeah, exactly. I think yeah. that's probably what it was. You, you <laughs> think they would have at least made it look a little more futuristic. My dad had one almost exactly like that, and my dad was far from futuristic. So. <laughs> <laughs> He pulls out a case from his safe and uh, opens the case, and we see it's some kind of a metal. It's a, you know, a ribbon with a metal on the end, and he changes a little bit. It seems like for a moment he's kind of snapped out of his days and doesn't seem quite as happy-go-lucky. And then uh, a moment later, he closes the case, and the next thing we see is him coming into the transporter room, and he sets his 1960s Samsonite suitcase on the transporter pad. Right. And then he goes back to the transporter console and you could see he's he's struggling some and uh, he starts saying no he says I can't leave and he makes a fist and brings it down hard on the transporter console and then he's changed he then says violent emotions anger and he's back to himself 
Kirk realizes that to take the ship back, he'll need Spock's help. He comments that Spock is much stronger than the ordinary human being. Aroused, his strength could kill. So he calls down to the planet and to Spock, and he says he needs Spock's help. So Spock beams up, and we see Kirk is there with a club in his hands. So Kirk calls Spock. All right, you mutinous, disloyal, computerized half-breed. We'll see about you deserting my ship. The term half-breed is somewhat applicable, but computerized is inaccurate. A machine can be computerized, not a man. What makes you think you're a man? You're an overgrown jackrabbit, an elf with a hyperactive thyroid. Ship? I don't understand. Of course you don't understand. You don't have the brains to understand. All you have is printed circuits. Captain, if you'll excuse me. What can you expect from a simpering... Devil-eared freak whose father was a computer and his mother an encyclopedia. My mother was a teacher. My father an ambassador. Your father was a computer, like his son. An ambassador from a planet of traitors. Captain, please don't... You're a traitor from a race of traitors. Disloyal to the core. Rotten like the rest of your subhuman race. And you've got the gall to make love to that girl. Does she know what she's getting, Spock? Carcass full of memory banks who should be squatting on a mushroom instead of passing himself off as a man. You belong in a circus, Spock, not a starship, right next to the dog-faced boy. At this, Spock finally snaps and attacks Kirk. Spock knocks down Kirk and then he picks up like this metal footstool thing. Yeah, or what was that? Shelf or something? I know. What, what was that just doing in the transporter room? <laughs> uh, and he prepares to smash Kirk with it. And then Spock suddenly changes and Kirk apologizes, but says it had to be done and it was painful to him. And he rubs his shoulder, it says in more ways than one. <laughs> yeah. And Spock seems sad in some ways that the spores are gone. Kirk explains that anger disrupts the spores and that's why he had to make Spock mad. Spock points out that initiating a brawl between 500 crewmen and colonists is hardly logical. Kirk says he wants Spock to help him build a subsonic transmitter. I, I didn't know what a subsonic transmitter was. I didn't really know, but I thought, well, subsonic means below the level of hearing. It was my guess, but I didn't know what the purpose of it was. So uh, next we see Kirk and Spock are working on the bridge. Uh, they're under up under one of the consoles. And Spock says, they'll not hear this. More of a sensation, a feeling. And Kirk says, as if someone put itching powder on their skin. Real quick, did you look at the area they were working in? Did you pay any attention to that? I did. What? Yeah, what did you see? Uh, well, one of the things I saw was kind of over on Kirk's side, there was something that was either an old ashtray or it was like a pulley wheel. It just kind of stuck out to me that it didn't belong in there. Yes. And then, you know, there's some wires and stuff that they're fiddling with, whatever. Yeah, it was maybe, I was trying to think about, to the people of the 60s, 1967, would this have seemed futuristic? I mean, there were some, there were some resistors in there, some capacitors. To me, it just looked like a mess. So the next thing we see is Sulu and DeSalle working together in the field and they bump into each other and then they start fighting. And then we see Sandoval as he's approaching McCoy. McCoy is sitting under a tree with his mint julep. Sandoval says, I've been trying to figure out what kind of work we can have you do as we do not need a doctor. And McCoy seems to take offense to this and he stands up and he says, would you like to see how fast I can put you in a hospital? <laughs> <laughs> just... 
That's my favorite line of the show. Yeah. Well, McCoy did not want to be told that he had to work. I mean, he was going to drink that mint julep and he was going to relax and just, you know, not do anything. Yeah. And Sandoval says, I'll assign you to whatever work I think is needed. And McCoy says, you better make me a mechanic so I can treat little ting gods like you. <laughs> Another good line. Yeah. And that's, you know, and then Sandoval takes offense and he swings at McCoy and McCoy punches him in the gut. Mm -hmm. Right away, they both realize they've changed. And uh, Sandoval suddenly stops himself and he says, we'd like to get some work done. The work we set out to do. And then uh, next thing we see is Sandoval speaks to Kirk and says, we'll give you our full cooperation. So so meaning, Dana, that everyone is going to beam up and they're going to agree to go to that star base. And then maybe they'll be able to go to some other planet and do the work that they wanted to do. Exactly. And uh, later on the bridge, uh, McCoy comes onto the bridge. McCoy says, this is the second time we've been thrown out of the garden. And Kirk says, no, this time we walked out. Maybe we weren't meant for paradise. Maybe we were meant to fight our way through, struggle and scratch for every inch of the way. Maybe we can't stroll to the music of the lute. We must march to the sound of the drums. And Spock says, Poetry, Captain. Non-regulation. <laughs> so what did that mean, Dana? <laughs> yeah, you cannot like... <laughs> say, you can't speak poetry on the Enterprise? I mean, what does that yeah. mean? Yeah. I mean, you're a poet. <laughs> you, you are actually a published poet, Dana. How does that make you feel? I just thought it was weird. You know, I mean, it's... <laughs> Apparently in Starfleet, you know, this you can disrupt whole planets and kill aliens, but uh, you can't recite poetry. No, that's so. that's that's verboten. <laughs> no way on the poetry. Kirk looks at Spock and says, "We haven't heard from you about Omicron Seti Three." And Spock says, "I have little to say about it, Captain, except that for the first time in my life, I was happy." God, that was sad, Dana. That was actually a sad ending. Yeah. You don't see Spock happy. He's always very serious. Yeah. So, I mean, I thought that was a great line and it really said a lot about his character. And that's how it ends. Yeah. So, Dana, why don't we talk about some of the actors who were in this show? Probably the one everybody knows, Jill Ireland, was the one that played Layla. And uh, she was in a lot of movies and TV roles from the 50s and 60s into the 70s. Uh, she might be better known as the wife of Charles Bronson in the 70s. Like I said, did switch back and forth pretty uh, easily between uh, television and film through most of her career. And unfortunately, she died of breast cancer at the age of 54. Yeah, she was pretty young. And then uh, the Sandoval was Frank Overton. And uh, he did a lot of television as as well, more television than film, I believe. He died of a heart attack just a month after the show aired at the age of 49. So, Dan, let's talk a little bit about themes and dilemmas this episode offered. One of them is paradise. Is it possible? We've talked about that one already in some other episodes, so I don't really want to talk about that one, Dana. Um, <laughs> The other theme I think that comes out pretty clearly is, and Kirk says this, as humans, do we need a challenge? Is it all about struggle and pain and making your way through that? You know, is that what it means to be human, to be in a constant state of struggle? What do you think? I don't think it needs to be a constant state of struggle. Uh, if, if it is, then I'm doing something wrong. Um, but... <laughs> I don't know. We struggle through this podcast every week. <laughs> 
we need to be challenged. I mean, this is the same thing that Kirk said when he blew up the uh, uh, computers and uh, Landry's computers. Right. There has to be challenges. There has to be something that spurns us on. It's, it's like, why do we go to work? It's also, we, you know, we look for challenges in day-to-day life. You know, so I think there's something to that. His comments uh, at the very end... Where he says, where, you know, uh, maybe we can stroll, maybe we can't stroll to the music of the lute. We must march to the sounds of the drums. Sounds kind of militaristic. There, there's something to that. I think we have to kind of like dance to both. Oh, that's You good know what point. I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. Yeah. Because yeah. without one, the other one's not as appreciated as much. Yeah. So I just don't think that there is such a thing as paradise, like we've mentioned in the past. Yeah. And I don't think it can be all one or the other. So it's not just all sitting under a tree drinking mint juleps. Exactly. So a couple of years, I'm planning on testing that theory out. But uh. <laughs> Well, you know, uh, I think this is why some people really dread retirement, is they have no clue what they're going to do. Yeah. And uh, so that's one of the same things that I found in this is, uh, does life have meaning or substance without conflict and struggle? Again, I think it all has to be balanced. Dana, what did you notice? What were some dilemmas that you saw? The big dilemma for Kirk and this was controlling his crew. What is he if he's not a starship captain? He was not going to be a farmer. Later in the show, his dilemma of fighting Spock. It was something he didn't want to do, but for the good of the ship and to save his crew, it was something he had to do. Yeah. Boy, some of the language he was using, Dana, was very reminiscent to me of language that is used to belittle, you know, people of color by white supremacists. Well, obviously, this was in the 60s, 1967. The civil rights movement was now getting to be in full force. And boy, just some of that language was the, the idea of half-breed. And when, yeah. he, when he says to Spock, you know, something about uh, Layla. It's like sully her or dirty her right. or something like that. So, yeah. I mean, it was really difficult to listen to and this mm-hmm. is you know 50 years ago and um, yeah. and still we're hearing we still hear some of this language today so I know I just found that difficult and unfortunately it's still going on Dana, what were some of your best parts of this episode? It's an obvious one, but the love story between Spock and Layla. I liked that they had known each other before and they didn't never he had never been able to show her love before. It was such a different side of Spock. It was really neat to see. Dan, you got any uh, favorite parts? Yeah. Um, the part where Uhura tells Kirk that she can't contact Starfleet. And I just love how Nichelle Nichols plays that. Uh, just a great, great line. And then Kirk's reaction to it as well. I really loved it. How about another best part for you? <laughs> McCoy's lines to Sandoval at the end. Classic McCoy. Anything else that stood out to you? The final line by Spock, you know, where he says for the first time in his life, he was happy. It was very poignant. And I thought a great way to end the show. And it really gave us an insight into Spock. How about a worst part for you, Dana? When Kirk is alone on the bridge and he goes and sits at the helm, you can't see the flower. And you can see from the wide shot, two, three feet in front of the the helm. And there's no flower there. Yeah, just empty. And so uh, it bothered me that when he goes and sits down there, he's obviously putting himself in position to be closer to the flower. And then it stands up and shoots him. It's continuity. Yeah. It's just a little thing, but I I couldn't help but notice it. How about you, Dan? Was there uh, something else that you didn't like about this or something you think is a flaw or not your favorite part? Yeah. There were no counts in this episode. We did not increase... (laughs) 
any of it. We better get some pretty soon, Dana, or I might just stop doing the podcast. How about another worst part for you, Dana? What was it to turn Kirk back to normal? Was it the metal? <laughs> yeah. and, and I mean, was it he's got old Samsonite luggage? It, it was clear why people on the planet changed, but it wasn't really clear for Kirk. I Yeah, I agree with you. That just kind of bugged me, and I kept thinking about that. So, Dana, anything else that was the worst part for you? The, the fight between Kirk and Spock. I don't think they needed stuntmen. I, maybe there's a law or rule, a stuntmen union, where if you're going to punch something that bends or breaks, that you got to have a stuntman do it. It just seems silly. So, Dana, tell us about some things that happened when the show came out. Well, Dan, the show aired on March 2nd, 1967, uh, same day as the ninth Grammy Awards. I thought the Grammy, Grammy Awards had been around for a long time, but apparently I was wrong. Well, if it was the ninth, that would have put that in... Uh, 58. Thank you. 58. Yeah. 58. 59. 59. Well, 58. 58. 58. Got our math, Dana. <laughs> our math. Holy cow. Well, let me take my shoes off and do some counting here. But, <laughs> but that 1958, that's still a long time ago, Dana. Well, I meant at the time. You know, oh, I, mean, I, just, I thought, yeah. thought it would have been like the 35th or something. Okay, well. So uh, Frank Sinatra won Best Record for Strangers in the Night. I hate 1967. I hate that song, Dana. Hate, hate it. <laughs> Michelle by the Beatles won the best song. I love that song, but I hate Great Strangers song. in the Night. Hate it. Did I tell you that? I hate it. <laughs> I've got the message. So I'll be sending you uh, Frank's greatest hits for Chris next Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> well, you like the Beatles a lot. What about Michelle? What do you think of that song? It's just a beautiful song. It yeah. is. Funny note about that. I just heard an interview with Paul McCartney not too long ago where he said that was based on something he played in high school. He would go to parties and he said he would pretend he's French. Really? <laughs> and he says he would sit in a corner and like play guitar and sing this kind of French love song. <laughs> hoping to uh, impress the girls so that they would uh, throw themselves at him. Oh, did it work? Or? Yeah. Uh, he said not so much. Oh. Yeah, and he says his French was pretty bad. He only knew a few words. And so uh, <laughs> he said that uh, little did he know that, you know, a few years later, girls would be throwing themselves at him for singing, I want to hold your hand. Yeah. Wow. So, Weird. That's funny, though. Very interesting. Yeah. In the U.S., uh, number one song was Ruby Tuesday by the Rolling Stones. I do like that song. Yeah, that's a pretty good song. And in the UK, wow, I almost forgot about this. Release Me by Engelbert Humberdink. This was uh, one of my mom's favorite songs. Really? I remember uh, it would come on the radio and my mom, the only time my mom turned up the radio, Engelbert Humperdinck or Tom Jones. Not a whole lot else happened on that date in uh, 1967, but on March 1st, Brazilian police arrested Franz Stangl. He was the ex-commander of Treblinka and Sobibor, extermination camp from uh, World War II Germany. Wow. On uh, that date also, uh, March 1st, uh, Queen Elizabeth Hall opened as a music venue in London, England. And on March 4th, the first North Sea gas is pumped ashore at Easington East Riding of Yorkshire. Well, some interesting things happen. Yeah. So, but I think the most interesting thing that happened on March 2nd was this episode. I think you're right. I, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> So, Dan, let's get to our counts. Oh, Dana, I'm just depressed. <laughs> just depressed about this. Dead crewman count, Dana. Zip. 
Zero. Ugh. We didn't get any this week. I don't even think we got close, really. I mean, even with some of the fights, it's not like someone picked up a hoe and was about to bash someone's head in. Zero. Stuck at 25.5. How about the shirtless Kirk, rip shirt Kirk count? Zilch. We had an opportunity, though, didn't we? Yeah, with him fighting uh, Spock. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I thought that might happen. But nope, zero, stuck at nine. How about the he's dead count? No crewman died, so no reason for him to say it. Yep, zero, stuck at three. I'm a doctor, not a fill in the blank. This is my favorite one and there's none. But he he did have make me a mechanic so I can treat 10 gods like you. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he had some good lines. Well, and we've come close a couple of times, haven't we? This one I would say is pretty close. We've had a couple of other episodes where we've come close, but just haven't quite crossed the finish line. Uh, So zero this week or second one, supreme being count? Uh, Zero. Yep, the spores don't count, so we are stuck at four. So Dana, we're going to take next week off to celebrate kind of the New Year's. Our next episode will be Devil in the Dark, and that will be on what date, Dana? Friday the 13th. Oh, yeah. So kind of a scary time, maybe. I don't know. We'll have to see. (laughs) We'll have to see. But it'll be the first episode of the new year. Yeah, that'll be exciting. Yeah, it will be exciting. Okay, Dan, that's all we got for this week. And uh, looking forward to the new year as we continue on. Yeah, we don't have many more, that's for sure, before we wrap up the first season. And once again, Dana... It's been a lot of fun. I always enjoy these. Uh, Thanks for doing this podcast. And um, I will see you in a couple weeks. Have a great New Year's. Yeah, Dan, I'll see you next year. And uh, as always, uh, I'm loving the hell out of this. And it's just uh, a lot of fun. And to all the people that uh, tune in, thank you for your time. Appreciate all the feedback we've been getting. So keep it coming. Live long and prosper. Thanks once again for listening to Damn It Jim, the podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Please send us an email at dammitjimpodcast at gmail.com or join the discussion on Facebook or Twitter. Remember, Dan and Dana are off next week, so join them on Friday, January 13th for the episode Devil in the Dark. Have a great new year, and until then, remember to live long and prosper. <laughs>